Hi, this is Elia Fishman, and welcome to our latest podcast. And this is entitled CT Protocols and Design Review of Basic Concepts. And I chose this topic because we just ran a course in Las Vegas, and people had lots of questions regarding protocols. If you look at Ask the Fish, our critical questions are often revolving around protocols. And I thought it's maybe a good time to rethink and uh, readdress the whole issue. So let's think of things in two different ways and ask the question, how do you design a CT protocol? There are really two components. One is the actual scanning of the patient, which means the KVP, the MAS, what collimation do you use, the slice thickness for reconstruction of data, interscan spacing, and the reconstruction algorithm. And those are all critical things, and as you know, we're trying to use 100 KVP more than we did in the past. We're trying to keep the MAS low to reduce dose. We typically use thin collimation because we like the thin sections to be able to do the reconstructions of 3D and multiplanar. And often we use different reconstruction algorithms for high-res bone, high-res lung, and for soft tissue. And those are just some of the basic concepts. Now, in terms of the other half, and the part we'll address most in this lecture, is the part about what we do to the patient. So, for example, contrast. Are we using oral contrast? Are we using intravenous contrast? Are we using rectal contrast? Are we using contrast in the bladder? And if we're using it, how much are we giving? When are we giving it? How are we doing it? So let's look at oral contrast. Well, oral contrast basically has three questions we typically ask. What's the type of contrast we're giving? What's the volume? And when are we giving it? So let's look at that specifically. In terms of oral contrast, we're giving three different types. Water is probably the majority of patients we do. We only use water in the face of IV contrast. I would never use water if I didn't give IV contrast. Positive contrast, we typically use Omnipeg 350. Positive solution, 100 cc's of contrast in a gallon of water. Works very nicely. Gives you about 220 to 270 attenuation within the bowel. And then we are using Volumen, which is a barium-based agent, which is used for CT enterography. And I'll speak about that in a little bit. And then we use intravenous contrast. Most of our patients get intravenous contrast, obviously stone protocols, lung nodule protocols. We're not doing that, but most patients routinely get IV contrast material. And depending on patient size and application, get around 100 cc's of contrast up to 120. Cardiac CT is more like 70. We try to inject around 4 cc's a second with a good span of 3 to 5. Higher is better typically. Cardiacs are typically at the 5 to 6 cc range. Now, in terms of positive contrast material, when do we use it? Well, for routine follow-ups in colon, lymphoma, applications like that, it's very good. If I'm looking for a fistula, it's very good. Um, the downside of positive contrast is you don't see the wall as well as you might for like enhancement, which can be an important finding. So you get hyperemia, it's easier to see. Um, again, you can use positive contrast. With CT angiography, it's much better to use a neutral agent, and water works very nicely in that regard. But here's just a good example where positive contrast works very well. Patient with weight loss had been worked up. No solution had been made. Look at the left side of the abdomen. That bowel loop is a little bit dilated in the proximal jejunum. And this is a great example when you're looking for transitions, the coronal display, in this case, coronal volume rendering shows you about a three centimeter ulcerating adenocarcinoma. You see the soft tissue mass, you see the lack of opacification, you see the distal bowel is not dilated. And this is just a wonderful example of showing you how positive contrast works so nicely. It shows you that transition point 
the lack of opacification clearly defines the mass. Now, undoubtedly, if you were doing this with water, you would have seen the transition, you would have seen some abnormal enhancement. But again, positive contrast works very nicely. Or this example with a large mesenteric mass staging lymphoma, a large mesenteric mass, bowel loops are displaced, very nicely defined on the axials in the 3D imaging. This case does make the point that I mentioned before about lack of visualization of the wall of the bowel. Uh, the normal bowel wall, small bowel or large bowel, is 1 to 3 millimeters. And when you opacify it, you're not going to see it. And so you really can look at mucosal enhancement, which becomes a very good feature for many of our applications. But for routine, it's very nicely. Okay, water. Good example of Crohn's disease, prior resection. You can see beautifully the enhancement of the small bowel. You have to understand the different appearances of jejunum versus ileum versus duodenum. But you can see very nicely, and then in the right lower quadrant on these volume-rendered images, you see a slight narrowing near the surgical suture line. You see some prominent vessels, and you can just change that to a MIP image, which accentuates as we do a push-through of the data. You see the suture lines better. You see the narrowing, but you don't see the bowel as well in terms of its enhancement or the appearance but just a very nice example of where neutral contrast works very well. Or in this case, also of Crohn's disease, volume rendering shows you the strictures of the terminal ileum, the prominent vasa recta, which are accentuated when you look at the MIP imaging. This patient has active disease. But again, water allows you to really see the enhancement of the bowel, which is best appreciated to me on the volume rendered images. Sometimes you see it nicely on the MIP, but it's the volume that really gives me the information. The MIP is good for looking at those small vessels. It's not just small bowel where water works well, but look at the stomach. Again, key is distension. Stomach is descended. Look at the antrum. There's something going on there. There's a mass in the antrum. If we look a little bit more carefully in a coronal display, look at the lesser curvature by the antrum. You see the bulky asymmetric mass. That's an adenocarcinoma. Again, you can see it on the axial views when you cut just perfectly through it in the antrum and you see the transition and the differential uh, thickening, but it's sure a lot easier to see on these views. Regardless whether you look at the 3D views or the 2D views, whether you look at axial or coronal, at the end of the day, the stomach needs to be distended. What is a great contrast agent? Because the patients have no problem drinking it. Again, one of the things to remember, whether you're using oral omnipec or water, make sure you give the patient an additional cup, 250 cc's, when the patient gets on the table. Again, it's hard to control transit, but if you can simply give the patient more, there's no downside. Okay, you want that stomach distended, like in this case. Now, I mentioned the third agent was volumen. Uh, it's used for CT enterography. Those are applications typically looking dedicated small bowel exams, maybe for Crohn's, maybe for tumor. It comes in pre-mixed bottles. So we use basically two bottles, 450 cc's each, and then we use the third bottle equivalent of water. We give the first bottle over a 10-minute period. Again, we tell the patient to drink slowly but steady to finish within 10 minutes. Don't guzzle. Next bottle, again, 10 minutes, and then water and then we scan at 30 minutes, so the timing is critical. You'll only use volumen if you're gonna use IV contrast material. And the protocols, truthfully, regardless of whether we're doing um, the positive contrast, a neutral agent or volumen, is the thin sections, and again, this will vary scanner to scanner, but the concepts are the same. Use the thin sections, reconstruct with overlap, and then you have very nice 
uh, images to do angiographic analysis. And that's true whether you're doing arterial phase or venous phase imaging. And here's just some examples of volumen. Again, what the key thing with volumen is that it brings water into bowel, so it gives a little better distension. You have to get used to its appearance. You can see it here or here. One issue with water, of course, in the patient who's not obstructed, water gets absorbed pretty quickly. Volumen, because it uses methylcellulose, tends to have a faster transit time. Remember, methylcellulose, if you drink too much of it, will give you diarrhea. We had bad experiences with volumen in the beginning, but they seem to have changed the formula, but also we're sticking to two bottles and not three. And you can see here the nice enhancement of the bowel. And I'll show you where that works really well. Here was a patient with GI bleeding, and you can see an upper GI series, and if you look hard, there are polyps in the duodenum. And here's just a nice example of showing you that on the um, axial images. You can see they're enhancing ever so slightly. When you take that into coronal plane, and duodenum is best in coronal plane, look how nicely you see the multiple lobulated masses, the multiple tumors. These were polyps. The patient had no history of polyposis, and a number of these actually were malignant. But look at the enhancement. Look at the critical nature of the distension of the bowel. If you don't have distension, you're just not going to see those lesions. Or in this case, on the axial imaging, you nicely see the hyperemia of the distal small bowel. Compare that to the more proximal bowel. And when you look in different planes, you really can accentuate it. Here it is in the coronal plane. Look at that hyperenhancement of the terminal ileum to the cecum. And here it is again, volume rendering and MIP. And that hyperemia is classic for active Crohn's disease. So again, very nice visualizations. And then I'll basically pull that loop of bowel out and I'll go along the plane of the bowel. And you can see the bowel wall is thickened, there's hyperenhancement, there's increased vascularity. In fact, if you only look at this segment, you'd have a hard time saying there wasn't a cancer present or even other changes such as ischemia with hyperemia. But looking at everything together, it's most consistent with the patient's diagnosis of Crohn's disease. Now, when we speak oral contrast, we also speak about scan delay, and that's always an issue. The scan delay depends on the clinical situation. Obviously, if you're doing pancreas or liver, you can do a very, very small scan delay. It's not a problem. And similarly, hematuria, we give water as a contrast agent for PO, but again, you don't need to wait more than 15 minutes. However, the typical issue is appendicitis. What do you do in the patient with appendicitis? Well, if you ask most radiologists, there's a range of times people will wait, and most people rather wait longer than shorter. But if you look at the literature, the accuracy of CT for appendicitis, whether you wait three hours, whether you give rectal contrast, whether you give oral, whether you give IV, the accuracy is the same. In fact, it's been shown the best technique is just give water, give IV contrast, do fast injection, and look at the images with multiplanar reconstruction, particularly coronal imaging. That's going to be your most accurate. So waiting forever is not what you really want to be doing. Even if you wanted to, our referring docs, when they look at those numbers, they think about it. What would they prefer? And you know what they conclude? None. Well, obviously it's not none, but... In ERs, where you need to get turnaround time of a couple hours, you can't be waiting three hours for a CT scan. So realistically, we like to wait 15 to 30 minutes. Water is a contrast agent. The key is giving IV. If you can't give IV contrast, then you got to give PO, and then you probably should wait 60 to 90 minutes. Okay, what about IV contrast? We've spoken about this before, so I'll just uh, 
make a few points. We use classically Omni 350 routinely, higher risk patients, Visipec 320. Um, in terms of risks, you know, we've spoken about the risk of contrast material. There's a very good uh, program on the website about contrast. I'm in the process of doing version 2.0 with more questions. The issue always relates to contrast-induced nephropathy, and many articles have been written about this. I think the key thing is, is that we know that contrast, particularly at higher volumes in higher risk patients, can cause renal injury, which can cause all sorts of problems from delay in discharge to permanent renal damage and the like. We know there are many risk factors. One of the most common is diabetes, but congestive heart failure, myeloma, just aging is one of the risk factors. Hypertension is a risk factor. We also know the more risk factors you have, the higher the chance of developing SIN. We've all have strategies, and whether you're using creatinine or GFR, and more and more places are using GFR, key things to recognize, in patients with lower GFR, for example, you need to be more careful. Uh, again, particularly under 30, you need to be really careful. Hydration, potentially medication with bicarbonate might be indicated. Lower volumes of contrast will be indicated. So again, looking at patients and triaging them becomes very, very critical. Different strategies you can do. Hydration works very nicely if patients in the hospital. Hydrate pre and post study. Again, if you can, avoid nephrotoxic drugs. Uh, N-acetylcysteines you know, are all things that have been considered, uh, uh, but that is one possibility to think about. And again, minimizing the volume of contrast, which we typically do. And again, with saline push, you can drop it in some cases 50 cc's. So again, think of what you're doing the study for, think what you need, and do accordingly. And of course, the choice of contrast material. So for volume expansions, you can see that uh, IV, oral contrast, IV fluids work better than PO, not a surprise. The articles on bicarb have been very impressive, and some physicians swear by bicarb in high-risk patients, others do not. But again, there's no downside, and bicarb from these three articles, beginning with Merton's article, was very impressive. And the last thing is contrast selection. I won't go through this, we've done it before, but the classic nephric trial, diabetic patients showed increased safety for Visipec, regardless of how you measure it, whether it's day three or it's the creatinine peak of 0.5 or greater than one gram. And in fact, many of the societies like the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, have made it clear that in high-risk patients, isoosmolar agents, which is Visipec, since the only isoosmolar agent, is really the preferred contrast of choice. Our rules, and again, you can look at these, creatinine under 1.7, Omni over 1.8, or at 1.8, Visi, and again, patients with renal disease, patients who are diabetic, older patients, we tend to give Visipec, even with normal creatinins or borderline creatinine levels. I think an important thing, there's been some recent articles making the point that we may have overblown the issues with contrast and uh, uh, the creatinine level elevation post-contrast. Articles have shown, again, with lower contrast volumes, with uh, good hydration, these are less of a problem than they were in the past. And a lot of the numbers we think about were based on the days of giving 150 to 200 cc's of ionic agent. So times have changed, though our concepts often haven't. Now, what else about contrast material? One thing everyone always worries about is contrast reactions, and for good reasons. And there have been a few articles this year that gave us some really good points. One, contrast reactions are rare in children.
okay? And when they occur in children, they're mild. This article by Callahan made the point. The incidence of contrast reactions is lowest in young children and increases to adult levels as the child gets older. And in fact, their number of mild reactions was very small. And moderate reactions was even smaller, 0.08%, and there were no severe reactions. So again, we always worry about the kids, we worry about everybody, but again, in children, it's less of an issue. What else? We often pre-medicate patients. Our protocol, 24, 12, and 2 of, a, of 50 milligrams of prednisone at each time, or 40 milligrams, depending on what you typically do. We typically give 40. Other people have used uh, 13, 7 in one hour. You can give Benadryl about 30 minutes before the study. But let's say you pre-medicate the patient. Our experience has been no problems. Patients with breakthrough reactions do occur, but it's a small number. Patients with breakthrough reactions who are pre-medicated were typically patients with chronic oral corticosteroid use, drug or severe allergies, or multiple allergies. So it's really an unusual patient. And the majority of patients, um, you know, did not repeat a breakthrough. So 88% of patients with a prior reaction were given low osmolar contrast medium, had no reaction the second time and if they did have a reaction it was the same as the first so you have some hives you'll get hives again and that's very important we were always taught that if you had a second reaction it could be a lot worse you'd have anaphylaxis well it's typically whatever you had the first time you'll have the second time which is why if someone arrested we don't do them the second time even with uh, pre-medication and uh, Davenport does conclude that patients with mild index reactions have a low risk of severe breakthrough patients with a moderate severe index reaction and are a higher risk for experiencing another moderate severe reaction through the breakthrough occur. And again, 88% will not have the breakthrough, which means 12% will. And in this article, here was their, their uh, protocol, 50 milligrams, 13, 7, and 1. And then 50 milligrams of Benadryl about an hour before. Okay, very good. What else can we talk about? Well, what about the injection of contrast? And I'll tell you what we'll do. Our time is running late. Let's pick this up next week. And with that, have a great day.